you can be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter. If I didn't say that, go ahead and be doing that. Um, and it's good to be back. Uh, last Sunday I had COVID, but I watched online and uh, it was really, uh, really great. And uh, I, I'm not pretending it was COVID. I took a test. It actually was. So, uh, uh, so I'm wearing a mask for your safety. I don't think it's 100% necessary, but um, I, I do know I get more sympathy if I wear a mask. So that's... Uh, that, that kind of helps out. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you for your prayers. Many of you uh, prayed for me, checked up on me, and I, I do appreciate all of those things um, uh, very, very, very much because uh, God's in control of all those things. And in fact, uh, Pastor Stephen had told me that uh, he, he had a sermon idea a long time ago, you know, in relative terms, a month or two ago. And I said, that's a great sermon. And Janice and I were supposed to go out of town last weekend, and we'd be coming back on Saturday, but it'd be late. I said, why don't you go ahead and preach that Sunday? And he said, okay. So he developed the sermon, and then we didn't go out of town, but I couldn't, I couldn't come to church either. So God, as he often does, worked all that out for us, and, and boy, uh, was I challenged. I listened to that sermon, but it's also a perfect lead-in to this. We're going to preach through the book of 1 Peter. I may preach through the book of 2 Peter once I get to the end of it. Peter is kind of over, uh, overlooked. I mean, you've heard a lot of sermons out of the Gospels. You've heard a lot of sermons out of uh, some very familiar passages. But you may have not thought too much of Peter, uh, 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 of reading it. Um, I, I had a professor talking about 2 Peter when I was in college. And he said that liberals hate 2 Peter for three reasons. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Um, it's, just, it's just rich uh, in here. And... In fact, Peter is trying to make a point to us in 1 Peter. Now, I want to tell you something that you may know or you may not know. But one of the greatest feelings in the world is being home. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? It's it's a great feeling. I learned as a young man this is actually something innate in us. and And we see it in children. It's in all people, but especially in children. Children need a place that is... that is familiar that is their place and so especially a child that maybe parents in the military missionary whatever they attach to an object you know a a a stuffed animal or a baby doll or a certain toy or a hat or a shirt or if you're old enough uh, Linus and peanuts with a blanket you know that that they need that home that says home to them that that I'm safe, I'm secure. And without that feeling, we don't really feel very secure. I don't know about you, I, I, I don't like to travel actually, even though I do somewhat travel, but I, I don't enjoy traveling, but I do enjoy coming home. And uh, I, I'm, I'm best wherever home is. But Peter here in the opening verses is going to tell us, but you're not home. And that is why we never feel at home here. In fact, understanding what I just said to you might help make Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 even more special. Let me read these verses. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise As in a foreign land. He never felt at home there himself. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. But listen to the concluding verse of this passage. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. 
whose designer and builder is God. That sums up what we need to understand that you don't feel at home here because you got a home somewhere else. And it was built without hands. It was built without earthly material. God is the builder of all of those things. And so when God led me to look here in 1 Peter, and as, and as he did, and I've been looking in it, I'm realizing that 1 Peter is all about how, if you are a believer in Christ, a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, how you are to live in an alien land, which we call earth. And it's all about what are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to do it? And in fact, you know I'm long-winded. You already get that. I'm only going to try to cover the first two verses, and I've got a fear I won't even make it. So um, it's, it's so rich in, in things that we need to hear because we need to understand what God has for us as believers in this world. We'll never feel at home in this world, and the more we live like Christ, the more those around us at least from the outside, won't want to be around us until they themselves know Christ. And so we are called to go to a people that we offend just by being Christians, in a sense. And we have to love them into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you got to do more than love them. You got to tell them as well, right? But that begins with our love for those who don't know Christ, for our love for God who loves them, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him but have everlasting life right amen y'all did really well let, let, let me pray for a moment we'll jump into first Peter God father we thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross that he was buried that you were buried and you rose again and ascended to heaven Lord that we get to speak to you father in his name his authority Lord you said all authority was given to you in heaven and on earth and you told us we could use your name. You said we could ask whatever we wish and it'd be done. And so, Lord, today we, we wish lost people would be saved. Today we long for saved people to come to know you better. And, Lord, in fact, to break our stony hearts, to, to bring us to a place. Lord, we, we, we see in our news what you're doing in Kentucky and Asbury. And, and, Lord, we long, we long for that. Lord, we long that you would break out amongst us, but we are stubborn and we, we are prideful and we, 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 have, we would rather be comfortable than to follow you. God, forgive us of these things and many other things that, uh, that you might be able to have your work in us. Lord, today, may we hear from the apostle, the preacher, Peter, and begin to see what it is you have in store for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, just follow along and read these first two verses in the very first chapter of 1 Peter. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, there are a lot of words there, and some of them, they're not, they're not hard to, uh, to understand. You've probably heard them before, but, but maybe you don't know what they mean, or maybe you've never thought about the full meaning. And, and here's something, as, as I was talking about being strangers and aliens in this world, I want you to at least remember this today, that it is our identity in Christ that enables us 
to, to withstand this exile, to withstand the trials of this world, is to know who we are in Christ. And so we're going to use that theme of identity through 1 Peter to know who we are and what we should be doing because you don't know what to do, to do if you don't know who you are, right? Right. Uh, I can tell you, I do not know how to catch a football from a Class A quarterback in the NFL because I am not a football player. That's not my identity. But I am a believer in Christ. And so we have to look to Scripture to see, well, what does that mean? What does that identity mean? If you are called a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, what does that mean? And so Peter wants to un- unwrap that for us and show us what it means. And, and in the very, after his greeting, and, and as you know, in this day and time, these New Testament writers, in their day, you sign the letter, then you write it. So he lets us know who he is, Peter. And he lets us know his identity, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, there are no modern-day apostles technically the way Peter is an apostle. We, we can loosely use that term uh, to talk about people going. Uh, the closest we have is a missionary, someone like uh, Brother Roger there. And, and, and in case you don't come back, I want to give you at least one thing I learned from him this weekend. And that is that Cuba, percentage-wise, has more evangelical Christians by percentage than the state of Maine. Double, in fact. Only 3% of the state of Maine claims to be evangelical Christian. In the communist country of Cuba, that's 6%. So they have twice as many Christians by statistically than does Maine. That's something interesting you ought to think about. And guess what? There's lost people living all around you too. There's lost people everywhere we go. And, and an apostle is someone, and, and technically the, 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 the 11 that were left after Judas, and we like to add in Paul, they added in Matthias, so maybe there's 13, I don't know, God knows all that stuff. But these were the men who heard from Christ for three years, and then they teach it to the church, and the church is supposed to continue that teaching on and on and on. I see Justin there, God bless you, and Joe. Man, I'd like to see both of y'all afterwards and meet. Roger, because he, he might need help. I was going to do that at the end, but I'll go ahead and do it for everybody here. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, these guys are involved in doing that in Africa. And, and uh, these two gentlemen, Roger, uh, are in Africa helping the church there who is teaching over and over and over and over the gospel to people so that, th- that people can know Christ. And so Peter sets down who he is. I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if he's that, that means we better listen, okay? He was entrusted. He was one of 12 men entrusted with the teachings of Jesus to give it to the church, the very first church, so that that church could continue to multiply believers and that understanding of what it means to be a believer to others. So Paul is, I mean, Peter here is an authority in what Christians ought to look like. But then look at the first things he says here. It starts off with, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, the Jewish people went into dispersion, 700-something, I used to know this, uh, uh, B.C. and then 5, is it 82, 62 B.C.? When you go to Bible college, you learn these numbers and you're supposed to reproduce them on tests, but they've left me today. But 700, 500 years before Christ came, 
uh, the Jewish nations were overrun and the people dispersed. And they're called the dispersion. James writes to those who are in the dispersion. Peter is writing to a dispersion of Christians. God has flung them out across Asia Minor. And he's addressing these seven cities or seven churches that this letter is going to go to. But I want you to catch the language he uses. The elect exiles. Now, he said the elect exiled, exiles of this dispersion. He, he's specifically talking to them, but that just caught my attention. And that's what I was trying to say as I began about our home, is that if you are a Christian, you are an exile. You are not home yet. You've never been home. And everywhere you go and go, this feels like home, after a while, it doesn't feel like home anymore. And after a while, you know there's something else. There's something better. That's why people move all the time. There's got to be something better sometimes people move. Some people are content to be right where they are. And God bless you. That's, that's a great thing. But when we become believers, we begin to realize we were not made for this world. We were made for something better. But because of the fall, because of Adam's sin and our sin, that we are not fit for heaven. And Jesus had to come to make us fit for heaven, to die in our place for our sin, that he could begin to change us into his image, to fit us for heaven before he takes us there. And so I, I want you to understand what it means to be elect. I want you to understand what it means to be exiles. Let me start with the word elect. If you're familiar with that word uh, at all, for some people that is a fighting word. For others, it's a blessed word. And some of you say, I don't know the difference. You are the most blessed, okay? So don't worry about it. But elect is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, where we argue, some people argue about how we get to be elect, okay? Well, no, it's this way or no, it's that way. But the Bible says the elect are those who have, who have heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place, and that we realize that we're a sinner and we want to repent of our sin to follow Jesus. And when we realize that, we say yes to that proposal. God, you can have all my sin and I want all of you in me and I'm going to follow you. I'm giving up my way. I'm going to do your way. And if you are... That person, if you are a Christian now, if you want to argue about how you got there, that's fine. But you are the elect. I mean, next year, we are going to decide who we want to elect. And we will choose a candidate and vote for them. God chose you and voted for you. So you are the chosen and the elect in the scripture. And so we know that. We have perfect hindsight. We don't have very good foresight because we live by faith, not by sight, right? Amen? When we get to heaven, it's all by sight. But here we have to live by faith. So I just want you to understand that. It's another word, as I said, for, for the word chosen. But these elect are in a dispersion. I've, I've said that already. The church has been flung out. And they are feeling the pain of this aloneness. They are isolated. Uh, again, sorry, Brother Roger, but... Brother Roger was speaking today about the churches in, in Maine, how few and far between they are. Their pastors don't have anybody really to talk to. He even told me that some people who, who can go, as he mentioned here this morning, uh, maybe you're retired and you have a camper and you like to go places. You can go up there in the summer. And he said some people come up and they tell the pastor, take a break, we'll babysit. So you and your wife can have a break. Because they don't have anything like that. They feel alone they feel isolated 
these people felt alone and isolated. That's what the church is about, isn't it? I mean, COVID, if it didn't teach us anything else, besides it's going to hang around for a long time, um, it taught us that, man, we don't like being alone. We want to be around somebody. Six foot. Now, I know Americans, we got a, we got a bigger distance than other countries. You go to some, some countries, man, this is, this is too far away for them. You know what I mean? And uh, I see the guys in Africa going, yes, right. It's very close. And, uh, but in, and we, we want our space. And after COVID, we like, space? No way, man. Come here. I need a hug. Right? These, these people in this exile are feeling that. And God did that because he's going to bring us all together in the end. And he wanted us to desire that. He wants us, we get together here today at Calvary and we have this opportunity every week to come together, talk to fellow believers and have a sense of that closeness, but it's not even close to what we're going to have in heaven. And it creates a desire in us to be with all the elect. I, I, I like, have liked to joke, and I may have even said this from here, but back when I was a teenager in our, our church, we, I, I came from a church that had experienced revival and, and we were blowing and going for God and and after church on Sunday night, hey, y'all want to go to Shoney's? <laughs> uh, big boy, I don't know what you call it. Name your local restaurant was open on Sunday night after 8.30. And everybody went. But what I found out is when 60 people go to Shoney's, you can only talk to two people and they're right across the table from you, right? But we all wanted to be together at that meal. And so we were. I can't imagine the marriage supper of the lamb, how awesome that's going to be. We might be able to communicate with everybody. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be cool. And we're going to all be together at that meal. And so when we realize we're exiles in this world, our hope, our love, our, our desire is that one day we won't be alone. One day we will be in perfect fellowship with other people. And so we read here in this first verse, that's who we are, but I'm going to skip all the cities. They're there. You can read them. You can look them up. But look at verse 2. That we are the elect, and then there's prepositional phrases, and then we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Boy, a bunch of prepositional phrases in that verse. And we need to understand what these mean. And so I want to start with the elect, what it means to be the elect. It is based on the foreknowledge of God. Guess what the Greek word for foreknowledge is? Okay, we use it here in English a lot. You might not use it every day, but if you're a doctor, you probably do. I mean a medical doctor. It's the word prognosis. It's actually the word prognosis. And so you go in, doctor says, you've got this condition. Well, doctor, if you, if you know that word, you say, what's going to happen? That's what I always say. But if you want to really impress him, say, what's the prognosis? To know before, pro, gnosis, knowledge, to have knowledge before. Where do you think this is headed? Where is my diabetes headed? Where is this cancer headed? What's going to happen in this COVID situation? Where are we going? God knows before anybody. Now, let me tell you how precious what I just said really is when did God know all of that the Bible says in fact here in Peter he says from before the foundation of the world let me put it in even clearer English God loved you before he made anything 
His love for you has been eternal from eternity past to eternity future. And you can get worse and worse and worse and worse every day of your life and God won't love you any less. And you can get better and better and better every day of your life and God won't love you any more. His love is complete and it is eternal. And when you know him by faith, you now know him and have a relationship with him. Take a deep breath. He knows who you are, where you are, and what you need. This prognosis, this foreknowledge of God, it is a, someone told me it's like for love. It, we see it in, in the Old Testament. We, we see God saying that he elected Israel, that he called them his chosen people. And we do endure exile in this world because of the love of God. In, in Genesis 18 and Jeremiah 1, 5 and Amos 3, 2 are all verses where God talks about he knew them. He knows us from, from way back. And in Acts 2, the same Peter uh, said this in the sermon at Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter mentions the Foreknowledge of God in the sermon at Pentecost. God knows people, not things or objects. Listen to Romans 8, 29. For some of you, you'd say this might even be your favorite verse in the Bible. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the model. And all of us are supposed to look like him. And God has loved us. And his desire for you and me is to look like Jesus. And that is if you are saved, and that is if you want to be saved today. You can start that on that road. God loves you, and he wants you to know him and to look more and more like Jesus. You see, Jesus was also foreknown. If you just skip down to verse 20 of this chapter, we're not going to preach on it. But just to show you what Peter says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, a word meaning made known, in the last times for the sake of you. For our sake, he was made known uh, to us. Then back up to verse 2. So that's what it means, the foreknowledge of God the Father. But notice, in the sanctification of the Spirit. The word sanctification sounds like a big word. Just it, it's, it's what we also translate as the word holy. All right, H-O-L-Y. Holy and sanctify the same word. And the word means to set apart. I always use this illustration, so I've probably used it before, but I'll keep using it until you say, I'm sick of that one. Come up with a new one. But I, I used to like to watch rawhide. And they get on a quarter horse, and they cut the dogie, the little cow, out, and they would brand him. Now, he belongs to that ranch. That is sanctification. God cut us out of the world and put his brand on us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, according to... Um, the Bible and Ephesians, we have been sealed by God to be His. And that is a wonderful thing. Notice, it is, it is a work of salvation that the Holy Spirit does in us and for us. You see, when we are converted, God sets us apart as His possession, as His holy set-apart people. And we have His presence even in our exile. David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. There is nowhere you can escape God's presence. There's nothing separates us from the love of God. And we are his no matter where we are. And wherever we are, he is there. Wherever you are, he is there. And when you remember that, 
You can go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, even to Maine in the winter. <laughs> he said to baptize in Maine, you cut a hole in the ice, tie them to a rope and just drop them in. But anyway, so we don't have to do that. Praise the Lord. Now, in, in the Old Testament, we see these two words. And, and, and I can't, it's, it's, a, it's only about five verses. But in Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, listen to one of the verses. In verse 6, he says, Moses took half the blood, put it in basins, and half the blood, he threw it against the altar. Verse 8, and he took the blood he threw and threw it on the people, saying, Behold, the blood of the covenant of the Lord is made with you. And of course, all these words. Because not only does the Holy Spirit sanctify, set us apart... It is for obedience in Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. I want to go to the blood first. God gave a picture of how to do the sacrifice. And this is the, this is the sacrifice for the day of redemption, the day of atonement. And they take a lamb and they slaughter it and they drain all the blood. And then he told them, take half of that amount of blood. And you go into the Holy of Holies to this altar, this place that in the New Testament is called the mercy seat. It, it's, what they did is called propitiation. God, Jesus, the Bible says, took his own blood, took it into heaven because that mercy seat, that Ark of the Covenant, and it was, y- y'all know, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Okay. I know these are old references, but I'm an old man, so give me a break. So, so you got this gold box that's covered in gold with gold angels. God said, Moses, see that? Make one that looks like that down there. And so he did. He made a big old box called the Ark of the Covenant. With, because in heaven there's a real place. And there are real angels guarding it. And the Bible says Jesus took his own blood. The blood that was shed on that cross. He picked it up. Walked into the Holy of Holies in heaven. Not the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And took his own blood and put it on the mercy seat. And said there it's finished. And that is the blood that saves us. That is the blood that they threw half on the altar where it was sacrificed and half on the people. Now, he didn't just take a bucket of blood and throw it on everybody. He dipped a branch in there so everybody could hit, could get a little bit, right? What a picture that Jesus shed his blood to pay for our sin and then covers us in his blood. The King James used the word sprinkle. The ESV says poured But that is the sense of it. That is the idea of it. And notice why we are sanctified. Why we are set apart by the Spirit. Why he sprinkles us with his blood. For obedience to Jesus Christ. You didn't get saved to get fire insurance. I remember when I was young and single. Guy came, knocked on the door, opened the door. Hey, how you doing? And uh, fine. He said, "Uh, can I come in and talk to you? He was an insurance salesman. So I let him in. Because I don't have anything else to do. I might get to witness to him. And uh, so he said, well, Mr. McCarter, if you were to die, to stop right there. Why'd you say if? I am going to die. And so are you. So I got my chance to witness. <laughs> <laughs> now, you want me to give you money so that somebody that I leave behind gets money. But I want to know where are you going when you die. So I did get to witness. I don't remember what happened. But I know he spent some time there with me. We've been sprinkled with blood, not just to get fire insurance and stay out of hell. We've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus to have the identity of being the elect who are exiles in this world. Because we know God loved us. We know God paid the price for us to get to be with him. 
And he's given us the promise, one day I'm going to gather you to myself. Whether it's by our death or by his second coming, we are going to be gathered together to be with the Lord. We all should look forward to that day. But that word obedient, man, that's, that's quite a word, isn't it? Uh, back when we had hymn books that we used every week, we still have hymn books, but we just don't use them much anymore because of modern technology. But, but uh, we used to be able to challenge people, go get your hymn book and look up how many hymns are written about obedience. I don't know if there's some new ones out there, but back in the day, there was only one, Trust and Obey. We've sang it here the past few weeks. Couldn't find any more about obedience. We, we want the benefit. I want to go to heaven. I, I, I want to know I'm safe. I'm going to slide in there safe, right? And I want to take care of the people behind me. But let's not worry about that till I die. And then I'll get to go to heaven. I won't have to worry about it. No, 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 no. Whoa, time out. <laughs> no. If you accept this gift, it does come with strings. Obedience to Christ. Now, we don't like to say that much, but the Bible calls us slaves. And in America, we're all scared of that word. I don't know why. Slavery's been around since the beginning of time. It's just, we had a weird time of it in England and America, but it still goes on. There's slavery today. The Bible says we quit being a slave to Satan to be a slave to Christ. Salvation is not, oh, I get a fire. Thanks for the fire insurance. I'll I'll cash that in when I get to the pearly gate. No, 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 no. No, you have a relationship with a Savior who has loved you and is in the constant, constant effort of saving you. He is saving, he saved you, but he's saving you every day. He's making you look more and more and more like Jesus. He is making you more and more set apart and holy to him. And then when you look close enough, he's going to take you home and finish the work. Praise the Lord. Because I know... The older I get, the worse I think I am. I don't think I'm getting any better. I think I'm getting worse. It's like, Lord, I don't want to get, I don't want to get worse. I want to get better. But we become more and more aware of our own shortcomings and fallings and realizing how much we need the grace and the presence of God in our life. That's what growing in grace means. The more you know about it, the more you know you need it, right? I wonder if these people even knew they were obedient. Do you know how they were obedient? I mean, let me just, I'll make this easy. Everybody wants a set of rules. Here's how they were obedient. They were obedient because they were faithful to Jesus in exile. They never gave up on their faith and trust in Christ to be their Savior. They never quit believing. They never stepped away from God. They were obedient to who Jesus is in their life. Because they knew they were sprinkled with blood. They knew they'd been set apart. And if they could trust God to change their evil lives into sanctified lives, they could trust God to change their evil circumstances into sanctified circumstances. You may be in an evil circumstance today in your life. You may have some real trouble going on in your life. Listen, if God can save you, he can certainly handle your situation. He can answer the needs of your life. And they may be great, they may be minor, but I know this. It's like puppy love. You know puppy love is real to the puppy, right? And so your, your suffering compared to others may be very small or it may be very great. But that's not the point. The point is, God is enough in your suffering. Whatever it is, however big it gets. Because God's bigger than everything, right? So Peter is telling us in these just couple of verses. To be elect exiles 
we understand our identity is that God loved us from before eternity to sanctify us, to set us apart, to save us by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life because of what Jesus paid for on the cross. And in fact, that is what he does. He sprinkles us with Christ's blood so that we will be obedient to Christ, that we will be faithful to him, that we will serve him all of our lives. So in just these two verses, we have the purpose, we have the means, we have the results of Jesus' redemptive work in our lives. So what are you going to do about that? Well, first of all, I think that calls for rejoicing. You ought to rejoice and rest in the knowledge that you've been on God's mind since before the world began. He's had you in mind all along. He loves you with an everlasting love. And then if that's true, I think you ought to live your life for Christ for what's in the future, not what's in the past. God has blessed me with a a fairly good memory. I I don't know how to say that. I'm trying to say that and act humble at the same time. I'm not sure. But but I do have a good memory. I'm sorry. That was kind of a joke. But... um, wasn't much of one. As my son said, Dad, we knew it was a joke. It just wasn't funny. But anyway, um, and, and, and so I can remember too well my failures. But guess what? you got an enemy that will remind you if you do forget. He enjoys doing that because it hinders us. But listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I've already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't say forget the bad. He said forget everything. You know, we we, we want to forget the bad and we can't seem to do it. But we want to remember the good But looking back at past victory means you're not looking where you're going. And guess what? That past victory was just a stepping stone to a greater victory. And if God did this work in your life, yeah, it was great and you ought to rejoice on it. But then you say, well, what's next? Because God keeps getting better and better in our lives, right? It gets always, listen, heaven always adds, it never subtracts. Whatever's in heaven is better than what you have known here. The best day of your life multiplied by a billion would not compare to heaven. So if you're living your best life now, you're going to hell. Because your best life here isn't that great. Right? But if you're a believer, you've already been to hell. Because you've already experienced the worst you're going to experience. Because everything in this life brings you closer and closer to looking like Jesus. Even if it's suffering. Even if it's difficulty. Even if it's a trial. He's with you. He loves you. He's got you and he'll hold you. And so forget what's behind. Forget yesterday. Press forward to Christ. And then thirdly. Just a question. What in your life can only be accounted for by the presence of the Holy Spirit? In other words, it's not possible... If you are a believer, it's not possible for the Holy Spirit to abandon you. The Bible promises he will not leave. But what is going on in your life because the Holy Spirit has all of your life and is using you in his kingdom work? That's what Peter wants us to catch. We were sanctified for obedience to Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. It cost him a lot to buy you. 
It cost him a whole lot to purchase you. And you are precious to him. So he wants you to listen and obey. To know the scripture. To walk with him. To pray. To be with other believers. But to know what is God's will. And to follow him in it. Because I promise you. The center of God's will is the safest and best place to be. In all of eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord God. We, we just skipped across the top like a stone skipping across water of the depths of the mercy and the grace of God. In fact, you ended these passages with may grace and mercy be multiplied, peace and mercy be multiplied to you. Lord, indeed, we, we pray that, that in, in our lives that your mercy and, and your peace is multiplied in us so that others can see that even in this world that is no friend of grace, we have the grace of God. And when they see that, they'll want to know what it is. What, what allows us to smile when everything's falling apart? What allows us to trust when the greatest officials among us are not trustworthy? Lord, we can always trust you. You are always faithful. You never fail us. Lord, we're reminded the disciples were in a boat in a storm, but you were there. And they were worried about the storm, but why when you were in the boat with them? Because what kind of storm does it take to sink a boat in which you were riding? So the storms in our lives are just that, just storms. They toss our boat around, but you are with us in the boat. And you may calm the wind and the waves of our life, but then you look at it and say, why did you doubt you have little faith? You are with us in the storm. You're with us in the eye of the storm. You're with us after the storm. You are always with us. And Peter says, as we are exiles in this world, as we live in a world that, that hates you and does not desire you whatsoever because of our enemy, that, that you have people that you want to bring into the kingdom and you've given us the assignment of giving them the gospel so that they can hear and that the Holy Spirit can bring faith in their life so that they would begin to be followers of you. So, Lord, I pray for all of us in this building right now, Lord. There are people here that maybe don't have that faith. Lord, I, I thank you for, for Pastor Stephen's sermon last week. We don't be, be in the nine. We want to be in the one. We want to come back and say, Lord, thank you. Now command me. What is your bidding, Master? What do you want? We will do it. Because cost is irrelevant. Effort is irrelevant. What is relevant is what does God ask me to do because the rest takes care of itself as we begin to follow. So, Lord, I pray if someone here doesn't know you, that today you would bring faith into their life, that they might reach out to you. And, Lord, if we're here and we claim to know you, as many of us do, that you would speak into our heart what it is you're asking of us, that we would be faithful to Jesus. That we would just talk to people about our best friend, the one who loved us enough to leave heaven and die on a cross for us, be buried and rise again, ascend into glory and prepare a place for us to come to. So, Lord, move in our heart. Lord, I don't know the needs of every person. Only you can know that. Only you can do something about it. So we're just asking you to do it. Pastor Andy's begun to play. I'm going to come stand on the floor right in front of where I've been standing up here. 
If you have any need whatsoever and you want to talk to somebody, would you come let me know? Somebody will sit down and talk with you, try to help you. If you need to know Christ, you want to be a follower of Christ, you want to be saved, you want to know that if you die, you know where you're headed, you know that God is with you in this life and in the life to come. Please come let us know. We want to help you with that. If you're a believer, this altar's open. You want to come pray about something, you come. But God, whatever you do, may we be obedient in Jesus' name. Would you all stand with me as we're singing? Would you come talk to me if you need to talk further?